Welcome to Prolific, where I study and share the ideas, frameworks and conversations that embody the principles of success. Two quick things before we jump into today's piece. One, if you haven't already done so, head to my website at katenge.me and sign up to my newsletter by simply leaving your email. This will allow you to receive templates of the frameworks that we study each episode, giving you the option of doing the short exercises we discuss in some episodes that will better pave your way to success. And two, thank you for tuning in to episode one, where we looked at the relationship between luck, skill and success. It's been a bit surreal to hear the different interpretations and use cases of the episode from one person to the next. One person actually played the episode to their primary school class to help the kids better grasp the nature of chance and they understood it. Another friend who trades their own options portfolio sent me a message around how they struggled with analysis paralysis early on when trying to assess which trades to execute. Anyway, I appreciate the feedback and hopefully we can continue this journey together. Alright, now that that's out of the way, on to today's episode, Moving Beyond Fear. If you're trying to erode the feeling of fear, you're in for a long fight, like thousands of years long. Fear may be as old as life on earth. It is a fundamental, deeply wired reaction, evolved over the history of biology to protect organisms against perceived threat to their existence. Fear clearly plays a vital role in our human protective mechanism. The issue with fear is that it has the ability to toy with our minds. It distorts our ability to think clearly and rationally about a decision. Our fear responses can lead us to do two things. Overstate the negative consequences of our decisions or actions and completely ignore the potential positive consequences and the costs of inaction. So how does fear actually work and what can we do to move past it? It's always worth remembering that fear originates from the brain, the amygdala to be exact. This almond-shaped set of nuclei in the base of the brain is dedicated to detecting and processing emotions from external stimuli. So let's say we're walking down the street and out of nowhere, a 10-foot python comes charging towards us. Our amygdala triggers an emotional response and prompts the hypothalamus to turn up your adrenal glands and rush blood to your muscles to get you away from the danger. The hypothalamus initiates the body's fight or flight response. This response includes the release of stress hormones such as adrenaline to the sympathetic nervous system and the adrenal cortical system, which prepare the body for action. Faced with a 10-foot python, your body is now kicked into high gear, so it becomes tense and alert. At the same time, the adrenal cortical system sends hormones to other parts of the body which instigates your heart rate and blood pressure to increase, pupils to dilate to take in as much light as possible, non-essential systems such as the immune and digestive systems to turn themselves off to allow more energy to go towards the emergency function, and veins in the skin to constrict, which keeps blood in the major muscle groups. Altogether, this is known as the fight or flight response, switching your body into response mode, allowing for quick reactions. These processes are automatic and happen within fractions of a second, according to Edutopia. As I said, this is great for when we're responding to real danger, like 10-foot pythons, lions, tigers and bears. 
But on a day-to-day basis, this fear mechanism can create a comfortable prison for our ideas, our ambitions and our visions to remain trapped in. But never fear, Jason's here with a framework from one of the 21st century's greatest entrepreneurs to beat the fear trap. Tim Ferriss is an American entrepreneur, investor, author and podcaster. He became well known for his 4-hour self-help book series, including the 4-hour work week, the 4-hour body and the 4-hour chef that focused on lifestyle optimizations. I recently came across his TED talk titled Why You Should Define Your Fears Instead of Your Goals. In the talk, Tim narrates his excruciating experience launching his first business. He worked 14 plus hour days, taking stimulants to work and depressants to sleep. His girlfriend, who he thought he would marry at the time, walked out, leaving him with a card saying business hours are over at five o'clock. Tim recognised that the lifestyle he had built for himself was not sustainable long term and he needed to change. So he created a written exercise called Fear Setting. The Fear Setting framework consists of three simple pages. Page one. What if I dot 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 question mark. What you do with page one is you replace the ellipsis with the action that you're contemplating. So let's say you're contemplating moving from a nine to five to being a full-fledged entrepreneur. Your what if I would be, what if I became an entrepreneur? In this page of the exercise, the first thing you need to do is define everything that could go wrong. So you might say, I might run out of money. Or you might say, no one would like my product. Or you might say, I actually preferred being in a nine to five. These could be all of the things that could go wrong. Second thing you want to do is write down everything that you could do to prevent what you just said going wrong from happening. So let's take one for example, running out of money. What you could do here is say, hey, I've got six months to make X amount. And if I don't make it by this point, I'll go back to a nine to five. So now we've defined everything that could go wrong. We've written down things that we could do to prevent these things from going wrong. And the final thing that we need to do is write down if these scenarios happen, who can you ask for help and how could you fix it? So again, if we do end up running out of money at the end of six months, who can we ask for help? How can we fix it? If you find this first page overwhelming, take a step back and ask yourself, has anyone else in the history of time less intelligent figure this out? The chances are, yes, they have. Okay, on to page two. Page two looks at benefits. Spend around 10 to 15 minutes on this question. What might be the benefits of an attempt or partial success? So again, what might be the benefits of us trying to move from a nine to five to being a fully fledged entrepreneur or partially succeeding at doing so? Finally, we look at page three, the costs. This may be the most important page of the three. Here, you have to assess the cost of inaction emotionally, physically, and mentally. The question at hand is, if I avoided this action, what would my life look like in three, six, or 12 months? Fear extinction involves creating a new response to the fear-causing stimulus. 
This means you now make positive associations with the thing that formerly freaked you out. The reason why it's hard to reconstruct our response mechanism is because the amygdala wants to associate the memory with the freezing response, but it can be trained to associate it with something less debilitating. But if we desire to do impactful work, rewriting our fear memory is a worthwhile investment. Fear has its place, but knowing when to be fearful or not is important. Some fears are valid, but not all fears are which is why our fears need to be shown a healthy disobedience. To avoid disappointment in life, we mustn't conclude on all of our fears without first thoroughly examining them. As Mark Twain puts it, I've lived through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. Well done on making it to the end of the episode. That's all from me this week. I hope this piece gives you some extra juice to begin moving beyond your fears. Don't forget to visit katenge.me and sign up to my newsletter to get a hold of Tim Ferriss's fear-setting framework for you to work through in your own time. Until next time, be prolific.